0: hey greetings c3 sydney and greetings pastor tim and Curly so great to be with you loved our time the other night when we were sharing uh, on the zoom call with you and the pastors and uh, looking forward to this time with you right now and uh, if you have a bible like you'd open up in matthew uh, chapter 25 i want to speak on the oil of intimacy and we're going to focus today on the wise and foolish virgins so when you're writing down notes it's about the wise and foolish virgins it's really about the focus on the oil of intimacy. So let's read the passage, and then let me open up some things. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took lamps and went a- lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were wise, and five of them were foolish. And those who were foolish took their lamps with no oil in them, but the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. While the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight a cry was heard: "Behold, the bridegroom comes!" go out and meet him. And all the virgins arose and trimmed the lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. And the foolish said to the wise, uh, the wise answered saying, no, lest there not be enough for us and you, go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And when they went to buy, the bridegroom came and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding and the door was shut." Afterwards, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. And he answered and said, "Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore for you know neither the day nor the hour when the Son of Man is coming. So this is a very, very powerful parable. And uh, the first thing I want you to do is look at the context or the setting that Jesus teaches us. Now, The setting, or the context, or the background for this is Jesus' teaching, and he's teaching uh, through Matthew 24, 25 in response to the questions, what are the signs of your coming? What are the signs of the end times? And so he begins to lay out specific things we will see happen in the world before the uh, coming of the Lord, and then he lays out some parables. Now notice he says, then... Then shall the kingdom of God. So that what does then mean? Refers to the end times. Refers to the coming of the Lord. And he's been sitting down describing his, uh, his, to his disciples the signs of the end times. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be like this. And he, he describes several parables. And here's one of them. And it's the parable of the wise and foolish virgins. So he's given an outline of end time events of false Christs. There'll be wars. There'll be rumors of war. There'll be pestilences, there'll be problems, diverse problems and great pressure. So if you think you've had a a major upheaval with this coronavirus, it's very minor compared to the things that will come on the earth in the last days, which are also outlined in the book of Revelation. So Jesus gave a detailed description and then he begins to reveal through his stories, his identity, he is the bridegroom longing for intimacy. He is the king who is going to come to rule and to govern and reign over the earth with his people. And also he's the judge who will remove all the obstacles to his kingdom and to his love prevailing in the earth. So he reveals himself through the set of parables as the bridegroom, as the coming king, and as the judge of all the earth. And so we're gonna focus on this one here uh, because each of the parables teaches something about what's expected of you as a believer in preparing yourself for the coming of the lord so the wise and faithful servant in matthew 24 was expected to do the work of the lord and to be faithful in serving the lord in spite of difficulties and opposition and hardship the ten virgins the theme of it is developing a deep intimacy developing what we call the oil of intimacy and making yourself ready for the coming of the lord and then the third one on the talents is about being a faithful and productive steward And the assignment God has given you, whatever that assignment is. So anyway, we're going to, each one of those stories has uh, has within it, it has an instruction, this is what to do, and a promise of a reward or a loss of reward at his coming. And that's a major theme in Jesus' teaching of rewards in the coming millennial kingdom when he returns and of losses for some, rewards for some, losses for others. So the second aspect of understanding this is the Hebrew wedding. It helps if we understand in the Hebrew wedding, they had three, had different parts to it. The first part was the marriage contract where the contract was made between the the parents of the bride and the groom and uh, there was a dowry, there was a price paid for the bride and uh, there was a contract form and there were terms of the covenant that were laid out. And so we have been joined to Christ, part of the new covenant. And uh, secondly, the groom went away to prepare a place for his bride and then he would come at a time that's unexpected. So they wouldn't know the exact time, but they would know approximate time and the bride was expected to make herself ready or prepare herself. And then when the bride, the groom came with the uh, various attendants and with the torches at midnight, then what would happen is the bride would arise and she would go with the groom and they would enter the marriage feast And there would be a celebration and then a consummation and then their life shared together. So notice it tells us at the end of the Bible, Revelations uh, 19, and and it tells us in verse 7, it says, Let us be glad and rejoice. Let us give honor to him, him for the marriage supper of the Lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. So this story is the story. It's a kingdom parable. It's a parable about us preparing for the coming of the lord and it ends in revelation with the bride having made herself ready and coming into that marriage supper now of course most of us think Mm -hmm. that it's all equal in the kingdom and we don't understand that actually salvation is giving freely to us but we're expected to be a steward of god's resources we're expected to cultivate our relationship with jesus we're expected to allow Uh, his life to transform us so our heart becomes like his heart our character becomes like his character and so this is the story so let's go into the story now and we'll ask some questions number one who are the virgins there are five wise virgins five foolish virgins so there's five and five five wise five foolish what the word foolish means comes from a word uh, for moros meaning which you get the word moron meaning uh, someone who's dull or lacking understanding in other words uh, a virgin but lacking understanding of what is needed or what is necessary. So when you look at the story, how you read the story and apply it, will certainly affect the way you look ahead and how you prepare yourself, how you live your life now. Those who were ready entered what God had prepared for them. Those who were not ready, then the door was closed, and they were excluded from what God has. So the lesson in the parable, as in other parables, Make yourself ready to be included, or if you fail to make yourself ready, you'll be excluded. Now, it's not talking about whether you go to heaven or not. It's talking about realms of reward and particularly intimacy with Jesus Christ in his millennial kingdom and in the ages to come. Now, how do we know that the virgins are believers? There's a number of reasons or that we could conclude that this is not saved and unsaved. This is not about whether you go to heaven or not. This is about saved people. Here's some reasons. Number one, virgins, the name they're called virgins, and the Bible refers to believers as virgins. 2 Corinthians 11:2. 2, I am jealous for you, God, Corinthian believers, with a godly jealousy, for I have betrothed you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. I'm afraid, though, the devil may have beguiled you and offered you a substitute like he offered Eve a substitute. And taken you away from simple devotion to Jesus Christ. So notice then, when we're born again, we're made clean, we have a fresh start, we come into covenant relationship, we are betrothed to Jesus Christ. He has gone to prepare a place for us. He will return to a bride that's made itself ready. So notice there uh, that we are called virgins. Notice each of the virgins had a lamp. Both the wise virgins and the foolish virgins, they all had a lamp. So what is a lamp? Well, in the Bible, a lamp represents two things. Number one, it represents God's word. In Psalm 119, verse 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So all of the virgins had a measure of revelation of the word of God, bringing light to their lives. Secondly, the lamp also reflects, or or, or a lamp is a giver-outer of life, The lamp also refers to our external service and ministry. So notice uh, our external life for the kingdom of God. In other words, what is your life like? What kind of life do you live? For example, in John 5.35, John the Baptist was a bright and a burning or a shining lamp, and you were willing for time to rejoice in his light. So notice there, John is called a bright and shining lamp. The word of God is called a lamp that gives light to us. So you notice then that the lamp refers to the Word of God, revelation from the Spirit of God, our coupled with the work of the Holy Spirit in our heart and overflowing out to others, bringing light. The Holy Spirit, the word, the lamp, is something that brings light, brings revelation, brings insight. John's role was to prepare the nation for the coming of Jesus. He carried revelation in his day. It tells us in, in the book of Luke, chapter three, in the first few verses, lists all the important people and says, but the word of God came to John in the wilderness. So notice, John was a man who lived in relationship with God, had revelation come from God, so he was the only one in his hour that could be anointed and empowered to impact a nation with the revelation of the need to prepare for the coming of the Lord through deep repentance. So, for us to carry a word for our nation, to carry a word for the season that we live in, we need to be in relationship with God. We need to be receiving revelation and become a lamp. We're not to hide our light. We're let let our light shine so people may see our good works and honor God. So clearly, when it refers to lamp, this lamp, all the believers have a lamp. All have a measure of the Word of God. all have the Spirit of God, all a call to let their light shine. Notice there, uh, uh, the light, they both had the light. Uh, interesting when it refers to light, the light always speaks of life, the life of God. For example, John 8:12, Jesus said, uh, "I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness." but have the light of life. So Jesus said the light refers to the life of God, the supernatural life of God. So uh, we're all called to let our light shine. We're all called to let the life of God, the word and the spirit to flow out of our life so it has an impact. We're we're not called to hide. We're called to be bold and and to be filled with the spirit and to overflow so our our lamps uh, give out light. Notice the next thing that uh, all the virgins had, they all had some oil so the wise had a container and had supply of extra oil the foolish ones had some oil but it wasn't enough to last them uh through the the season they they were found short of oil so what does oil mean now clearly a lamp needs oil to keep itself burning so the wise had supplied or paid a price to have the supply of oil. Now, when we read in the Bible, we find the oil throughout the Bible refers to the anointing, the presence, the activity of the Holy Spirit. People were anointed with oil, means to smear with oil, and the presence of God came on them to empower them for the ministry and the the destiny they had. So oil speaks in, or is a very strong picture, of the life and power of the Holy Spirit. The bridegroom, notice, they, see notice this that the, the, they all were looking for the bridegroom the wise ones were waiting the foolish ones were waiting unbelievers are not waiting for the bridegroom unbelievers are not interested in jesus they're not they don't know anything about him. Uh, so these wise and foolish virgins all are waiting for the bridegroom they're all believers the final thing there is the number 10 there were 10 virgins all together 10 in the bible always refers to the complete number of what's in mind so this speaks of the complete number of believers And notice also number five wise, five foolish. The number five refers to grace, the empowerment of God to do what's needed to please him and fulfill his will. So all of the virgins were given the opportunity, all had the capacity to be ready. Five were wise because they chose to pay the price to be ready. Five were foolish, they wouldn't pay the price to be ready. So notice then the difference between the wise and the foolish virgins. It was not their education. It was not their position, it was not their finances or or resources they had, Uh, it was not their Bible knowledge, it was not even their ministry. The key difference between them was the oil. It was the priority they placed on having oil. So we need to just look at this area of the the oil and and look at that, the necessity of the supply of oil. Now notice the wise virgins were ready for the coming of the Lord. Matthew 25 verse four, wise to oil in their vessels with their lamps they were ready they had a full supply of oil now notice the oil is concealed out of sight you can't see it it's in a container and so the oil is consumed but it had to continually be replenished it's like us We need the presence of God empowering us. We need to be constantly filled, daily replenished because our light begins to come dimmer and dimmer and dimmer unless there's a supply of the life-giving power of the Holy Spirit in our life. So the burning lamp, the burning light, indicated this oil and that indicated that there was a secret relationship and intimacy with Jesus Christ. The source of the oil is the presence of God. There is no substitute for it. They placed a priority on the oil and they placed a they paid the price to have the oil. That was the difference. The foolish virgins were not ready for his coming. Matthew 25 verse eight, the foolish said to the wise, well give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. And the foolish virgins, they were not ready, They lacked oil. Our lamps are going out. That means they're kind of beginning to quench. They're running out a fire that it's it's no longer burning strongly anymore. The first love has gone. There's a a loss of the life and the passion and the fire. It's not there anymore. And uh, they lacked the supply of oil. They had not made it a priority. They had not paid a price. So here's a question right away. Is time in the presence of the Lord gaining access to him and allowing him to work on your life is this a priority for you and do you pay the price for that there is no substitute now you can't go to someone else in the end times and say i want your oil in church we love to go oh pastor pray for me lay hands on me i want your oil i want what god has given you now there's a place for that but when it comes to the end times god will be looking for you are you full of oil? Is your lamp burning? Is the life and supernatural presence of God burning in your heart through faith and a commitment to Jesus Christ? That's what will count. So notice that uh, it, every one of us has got to pay the price. So there's a personal cost to having the supply of oil. Notice what the Virgin said. Please give us some of yours. Uh, we, we, want, we want you just to hand it to us. And they said, no, no, no. You've got to pay a price. So you can't live off someone else's sacrifice. You can't live off someone else's purchase. You can draw from people. We share with one another as we come together, and the life of Christ flows among us as a body, and we receive from one another. But at the coming of the Lord, what will count is your personal connection and relationship with Him. Notice what they said, buy. You must buy the oil for yourself. What does buy mean? Buy means to acquire possession by exchange of something valuable. To acquire possession by exchanging something of value. You give away something of value, you receive something of value uh, in return. So it means, or another way of putting it is, you have to pay the price if you want to have the object. So in this case, the oil, there's a price to it. There's a price, and uh, there's a sacrifice. And, and it costs me something. So if what I give has got no value to me, it's probably got no value to God either. So everything in the kingdom that has value, there's a price to obtain it. We need to understand that. See, for example, it says, we, uh, Hebrews 11, 6, uh, where, uh, he that comes to God must believe he exists, he's present, but he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So notice, diligently seeking him results in the reward of, of blessing and presence and the supernatural power flowing in our life you have to sacrifice something in order to receive something of greater value all through the bible it's like that the book of revelations jesus said to the church in see buy of me gold tried in the fire buy garments that you may not be naked so there's a personal cost for us to be filled with the Spirit, to be alive and passionate for Jesus Christ. There's a cost. There's a price to pay for this oil of intimacy. So notice then, the oil. The oil is symbolic of the Holy Spirit, and particularly the aspects of what God does. God's Spirit, uh, we know God is everywhere, but He doesn't manifest everywhere. He's not uh, revealing His presence everywhere. To have the oil of the Holy Spirit's spread, when you have the Holy Spirit manifesting, it changes your life. He, he enlarges. One of the things He does he enlarges our heart with greater longing for Him. He increases desire for Him. So the Holy Spirit's presence in our life awakens love and awakens desire. Every encounter you have with the Lord is designed to increase your desire, increase your hunger for Him. The Holy Spirit empowers personal transformation. The Holy Spirit reveals the places where are hurt, The places we're afraid, the places we're blocked, the places we're wounded, the places we're suffering, the places our heart is closed up. He reveals those things, and as we come into his presence, he wants to bring healing to those places. He wants to open your heart in ever-increasing dimensions to bring healing and transformation so your heart becomes more and more like the Lord as we have encounters with God the bible says beholding as in a look a, a mirror the glory of the lord we're changed into the same image so when we come in and have time in the presence of god when we sacrifice our time in prayer time in meditating time in worshiping time in, in, in with the presence of the lord and pouring our heart out time indicating a hunger for him time in fasting all of this is costly to us time in obeying him. See, all of these things, it costs you something, but you receive something much greater value in return. And that's the whole thing. You can either focus, oh, it's going to cost me, and I haven't got enough time, or I haven't got enough of this, or you can say, I want the presence of God in my life. I want the oil of God's presence. I want him to touch deeper and deeper in my life. Oh, I'm hungry for him. I want to know him. See, and then what you spend in, in your prayer and Fasting and seeking the presence of God is little when you see what God brings into your life. The Holy Spirit, as we engage with him, shows us the place of brokenness, shows us our motivations. He, in other words, the oil of the Holy Spirit does a work of transformation in our life to make us more and more like Jesus. Or in other words, to make us prepared and ready for his coming. Notice what's said in Revelations 19, his wife or bride has made herself ready. She paid the price to prepare her heart for the coming of the Lord. And uh, so there's a, there's, this is the oil of the Lord. So we need that oil. And the, the oil of intimacy. Intimacy, what is intimacy? Intimacy is a close affection you develop through personal relationship. It develops over time. So it's the feeling of a close connection. Intimacy is a progressive disclosure I progressively open my life. God progressively reveals himself. This is a lifelong journey of coming to know him through, through worship and to know him through study of the word. Uh, intimacy is a face-to-face connection and communication. Intimacy in a marriage is, is face-to-face. Intimacy with God is face-to-face. We begin to, he begins to reveal himself to those who pursue him. And so this is intimacy. Intimacy is about companionship and sharing your life, bringing him into the aspects of your life, which are every day. And so that intimacy takes time to develop and is a commitment to develop. There's a price to pay. But when we pay that price, it's small compared to the rewards that God offers. And uh, we'll just look at that in just a moment. So uh, when, we're, when we do these things, we're not even aware often how our life is changing. For example moses when he came down from the mount being in the presence of god didn't even realize his face was shining with the glory of god so it's our responsibility to make ourselves ready for his coming it's our responsibility to commit to deepening intimacy with him and pay the price for intimacy so we might have his presence filling our lives and transforming our lives now there's a classic example of, uh, in the Bible of someone who did this, and it's found in the book of Esther, if you want to have a look at that. And, and we see here how Esther made herself ready. And, and uh, in Esther chapter 2, you can read it from verse 7 through to 17. But in verse 17, it says this, it says, The king loved Esther more than other, other virgins, and she obtained grace and favor in the sight of more than all the other virgins. So he set the royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. And so what made Esther different? Why was she different from everyone else? The king is seeking a wife, seeking a bride. He doesn't want someone independent and rebellious and doing her own thing. He's looking for a beautiful bride. And so he searches everywhere. And that's, it's a picture of Jesus Christ searching for a bride. Searching for a bride who's beautiful and has made herself ready. And so what made Esther different from everyone else was her heart. Here's what made her different. Number one, she desired to please the king. Everyone else would look at what they can get. Her desire, I want to please him, and this is this is, should be the desire of our heart. I want to please God. I want my life to honor him. I want to please him, and and to to want, see most people want something from God. We come to him, and all we want this, want this, want this, do this, do that. But what about the? You see, David was uh, commended by God. He said, "I have found a man who's after my heart." In other words, David. I love David. David has found favor in my eyes because David wants to know what's important to me and he wants to cooperate in it happening in the earth. He fulfilled my will in his generation. So so notice then, Esther desired to please the king. Secondly, she submitted to the Holy Spirit. Uh, She was put under the charge of Haggai, the king's, uh, he he was in charge of the the, the brides, the preparation of the brides for the king, which is a picture of the Holy Spirit who's entrusted with the preparation of the bride for the coming king. And so you and I have the choice. We can submit to the Holy Spirit and his preparation process. We can fight against it and resist it. The Holy Spirit uh, knows everything that will please Jesus. Therefore, he knows exactly what we need to prepare ourselves. And so not only she submitted to the Holy Spirit, second the second thing, she submitted to the process. There was a process of purification, and then there was a process of preparation. Two things, purification, preparation. So over a period of twelve months, she was prepared for the coming of the king. Twelve Is the number of divine government and order symbolizing or picturing for us that she completely submitted and yielded to the guidance, direction, and became aligned with God's order for her life. That's kingdom stuff. The kingdom is about God's order, God's aligning with his order, and establishing his order. If you won't let it be established in your life, how will you establish it on his behalf? Uh, So she submitted uh, to Haggai. And uh, it says, and the maid, in verse 15, the maid pleased him and, he, and she obtained kindness from him. He gave her everything needed for purification, verse 9. And she requested nothing but what Haggai, the custodian of woman, uh, advised. So what did he advise? Six months of oil of myrrh baths. So for six months... She soaked in oil of myrrh every day, and then for six months she had perfumes, precious perfumes, rubbed into her skin. So the the myrrh, what is the myrrh? The myrrh means literally to be bitter, but the myrrh was used in the anointing oil. It was a very important ingredient. Uh, uh, Myrrh was used for for a perfume for women. Myrrh was also used in the burial spices for Jesus. So myrrh usually symbolizes... Uh, death, or it means something bitter, something that's painful, something that's difficult. And uh, so when she submitted to the myrrh, it means she allowed the Spirit of God to bring cleansing to her life, to expose the places uh, where she was wounded, where she was hurt, where she was broken, where she was disappointed. She allowed the cleansing process of the Holy Spirit. You and I need to allow that. Jesus said, and the Spirit of the Lord has anointed me to heal the brokenhearted. We need the Spirit of God to come and tenderize our heart, to heal the painful and broken and hardened areas so we can be made ready. In the second six months, she submitted to the beauty process. She yielded with it to the perfumes and the oils. And that's symbolic of allowing the the, the, the fruit of the Spirit to develop in our life. For example in uh 1 peter 3 verse 4 don't let your adorning be that which is outward but let it be the hidden man of the heart that which is of incorruptible beauty of a meek and quiet spirit which is very precious in the sight of god so our adorning is not all the external perfumes although they're all lovely no no our adorning is the heart it's the inner man of the heart it's having a meek and a humble spirit. Jesus said, learn of me, I am meek and humble in spirit. So if Jesus is meek and humble in heart. He's wanting a bride who's meek and humble in heart. Meekness and humility are of great value. They are precious in the eyes of God. So part of our journey with the Holy Spirit is to surrender and allow him to bring healing from the wounds and traumas and pains and things and the bitter things of life. And then to bring beautification, to begin to grow in our life the fruit of the Spirit as we yield to Him love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and so on, to develop a meek and a humble heart. I'm committed in my life to develop meekness and humility. Why? It's what Jesus is like. I want to be, I want to please him. I want my character to please him. See, that's what this is about. So Esther did that. And of course, we saw at the end of the process, after she admitted to the process, it says in verse 17 the king loved Esther more than all the other virgins, more than all the other women. And he chose her and married her and put the royal crown and brought her into a place of honor and brought her into a place of intimacy and brought her into a place of ruling in the coming kingdom. There's a beautiful picture right there of God's work for us. He wants to make us beautiful. The king's Uh, the king's bride or the king's wife is beautiful within beautiful within it's an inner transformation god is looking for you can be busy and do all kinds of things for all kinds of reasons but what's going on in your heart are you being transformed in your character in your heart are you giving access to your heart to become it's not all about what we're doing it's about what we're becoming so are you becoming what god has called you to become She made herself ready. So notice there Jesus' warning, and uh, we just come to the end of the message. I want to share a few practical things now. Jesus then applies it at the very end of the teaching on this in verse 13 of Matthew 25. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour which the Son of Man is coming. Now watch. What does it mean by watch? You see, he used that in Matthew 24 in one of the other parables about the servant. Watch therefore, you don't know what hour your Lord is coming in mark 13 i think he says what i say to you the disciples i say to everyone watch watch and pray so what does it mean to watch what watch means to stay alert it means to be alert awake aware uh, aware what's affecting your thoughts aware what's affecting your emotions aware how you're acting what you're doing aware of the temptations aware of what's coming around in other words he's saying you need to have spiritual sensitivity You need to stay intimately connected with the Lord so you're able to constantly allow your life to be more yielded and to flow and reflect what He is like. So, watch is always connected with prayer. Uh, He says in Matthew 26, verse 41 watch and pray. Watch. Be sensitive, alert, the things that are around your life, what's happening in your, your thoughts and emotions and hearts and spirit, uh, what's happening around you. Be alert to that and pray. Give yourself to prayer so you can then resist temptation that would take you away. Remember, temptation takes you away and gives you a substitute for Jesus and leads you to a place of death and defilement. So, so Jesus wants us to be ready. So every one of us needs to do something. We need to watch and to pray. We need to prepare and make ourselves ready. So how can I make myself ready? Well, make priority in your life to heart preparation and intimacy with Jesus. Set aside a time every day. Take time to cultivate a spiritual atmosphere around your life. Praise and gratitude and thanksgiving. Why don't you get off the media and all the negative stuff and start to develop around your life, in your home, an atmosphere of worship. Develop a two-way communication process. You start to journal, listen, and respond to the Lord. So intimacy is starting to take place. You're starting to become to aware of his voice, sensitive to his voice, responsive to his voice. And when God speaks to you, act quickly to do what he's saying. He said, if you if you love me, you keep my commandments. Or if you're doing the things I'm giving to you and directing and revealing to you, that's how you demonstrate my love. My love is not just a feeling. It's outworked by alignment and cooperating with me in my purpose. And 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 finally we need to look at the areas of our heart, are there areas in our heart that we need healing or deliverance or formation in our heart? Are there places that we need setting free, things that continually happen, or are there areas we need to deliberately and intentionally establish in our heart through our relationship with the Lord? And so so we need to do that. We need to make some steps on that. Notice then that there's something at stake. There's a reward at stake. Now In Matthew 25, verse 10, while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready, they went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. So notice the ones who were prepared when the groom came, and now they didn't know, they were already ready. And they were ready because of desire. They were ready because of hunger. They were ready because they listened to his word. They were ready because they paid a price. When he came, they were ready. Now, when the Lord comes, will you be ready? Those who are ready, then the opportunity was open for them to enter into. What did they enter into? They entered into the marriage supper of the Lamb. What did they enter into? They entered into joyful celebration. What did they enter into? They entered into intimacy. What did they enter into? They entered into opportunities of serving and walking in authority and realms of intimacy with God that would go on into the millennial kingdom and then into the eternal ages to come. So notice then, they were ready. They were prepared. This is not a a, a, situation. This is not an issue about whether you're saved or not saved. This is about readiness of your heart and life and relationship with Jesus. What about the foolish virgins? And while well, they suffered loss. It says here the door was shut. That means the opportunity to experience what God had planned had shut. It was no longer there. It means they were excluded from what others experience. Can you imagine the grief discovering? That you were always called into this great realm in the millennium and in eternity. And because of your foolishness in lack of preparing, in lack of intimacy, in lack of paying a price to walk with God and let him work in your heart, you were excluded. The regret and the grief would be immense because that decision is irreversible, it's unchangeable, and it goes on for all eternity. So they fail to anticipate, they fail to Uh, to prepare their issue was this it was a heart issue there was lukewarmness passivity compromise independence they actually did not prepare their heart they didn't understand this is what's required we're not to just do our own thing we're to prepare for the coming of the lord we're to make ourselves ready a beautiful bride for him with the help of the holy spirit those who were ready went in And so constantly Jesus spoke of eternal rewards, and this is one of the passages that deals with that. In looking at the passages that deal with rewards, they seem to fall under three categories. Number one, a realm of increased intimacy with Jesus that goes on into the kingdom and eternity. Number two, sharing responsibility and authority in restoring the earth after the great tribulation and in governing the earth and God's resources at various levels of responsibility and authority. And finally, it speaks of glory. Uh, The Bible talks about garments of glory, that we will differ from one another in the resurrection. And right throughout all eternity, our passion, our commitment, our honor of Jesus in this life will be made known to all. I can't go into all of those things. I just want to give you a bit of a heads up about it. So this is a hard issue. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife, his bride has made herself ready. The story of the ten of these virgins is a story of making yourself ready, of responding to the call of the Spirit. In this hour, the bridegroom comes. Make sure that your heart is right with him. Make sure that there's passion and fire and hunger and the pursuit of God. If there's errors you need to repent of, do it now. Don't be a lukewarm, compromising, half-hearted believer who has not made themselves ready. There will be regret that will be eternal. I want to be among those who have made themselves ready, and when the door of opportunity is opened, I'm invited to enter. I do not want, after all the years of life and ministry, I do not want to find at the very end of my life and ministry that at the coming of the Lord I had become lukewarm or compromised or half-hearted or lost my passion, lost my desire, had allowed things to come into my life, and I was no longer ready for His coming. I love Him. I want you to love him and to make that commitment today to make yourself ready. Why don't you go back through this story and meditate on it and ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, show me what I must do. Show me where I need to make myself ready. Show me where I need cleansing because there's defilement and there's brokenness and there's wounding. Show me, Holy Spirit, where I need to give myself to developing the character, developing the fruit of the Spirit. Show me where I need to rebuild my relationship, my first love, how I need to build an altar again. Perhaps there's some of you right now, and really God's challenging you to rebuild your altar of commitment to prayer, of commitment to worship, of commitment to seeking the Lord, of commitment to surrender of your life to a deeper walk with Him. God bless you. Just close your eyes right now. I want to just pray with you. Father, I thank you for every person watching right now. I pray for the fire of the Holy Spirit to sweep through. I pray, Lord, for the desire to be stirred in the hearts to develop a greater intimacy, to develop a greater relationship, develop a greater knowledge of you, to prepare themselves for the days that we're in of the coming of the Lord. Amen. God bless you all.